0: Do you want a politically incorrect gateway to a real history education? Then go to mclanahanacademy.com. That's Academy.com. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 164. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. You can like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. You can subscribe to my YouTube page at Brian McClanahan. If you don't want to go out and look for all those things on your own, go to my webpage, BrianMcClanahan.com. That's Brian with an O. At the top of the page, you'll find all of my social media buttons. And while you're there, you can go to BrianMcClanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the podcast going, help keep the lights on. You can also give me an email address at brianmcclanahan.com and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. Also, don't forget about my McClanahan Academy, McClanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll, but of course, I do have three classes, including the newest offering, The War for Southern Independence, which was a smashing success in the two weeks that I've released it. So you might want to go out there and check that out. It's a Got great great reviews, rave reviews already. People are really enjoying it, so go to McClanahanAcademy.com. You've got three classes there, one on Secession, one on Hamilton, and then of course the War uh, for Southern Independence, and I do have a new class coming up the first week of July, and those that enroll in the, in the Academy for free are going to get the deal. They're the only ones that are going to get a deal, so uh, you're going to want to go out and get that new class. It's a short class, but it's going to be Highly worth your time to take it. I'll announce it next week, what it's going to be. And then it'll roll out uh, July 2nd is the day that it'll uh, hit the academy. So you want to get in get uh, enrolled in the academy so you can get that deal. Also, don't forget that I also teach at LearnTrueT.R.U.E.History.com. It is a comprehensive education website. Great website if you want to have economics, philosophy, history. I mean, there's tons of material out there. 20 classes, so go to learntruetruehistory.com and uh, sign up there as well. All of those things will help keep the Brian McClanahan Show going. And, of course, I've got my Brian McClanahan Show gear with my logo on it at redbubble.com. I've got uh, an article on my webpage. At the top of the page, you'll see something that says shop, and you can actually go there. So go on and get some Brian McClanahan Show gear. Uh, It would also help support the show. Okay. I want to talk about a subject that's, uh, of course, hot right now. I mean, this is all over the place. You've got the issue of immigration and border control. and uh, You know, is Trump somehow un-American? or people that support restricting uh, immigration in the United States, are they somehow un-American? Because that's essentially the position that we're getting to now. Those that oppose immigration are un-American. They're Nazis. Those that support immigration or unlimited immigration are somehow American, built uh, based on American principles, because we've got the Statue of Liberty, my God. We've got that. And so this proves that uh, unrestricted immigration is purely American and restricted immigration is something out of Nazi Germany. Well, I want to talk about that that split, because essentially this is a rhetorical division, uh, and it's, an, it's a division in the understanding of American history. So I'm going to give you an example. We're going to start with a, with an example going back, uh, well, 200 years, to talk about, is it un-American to oppose immigration? Or is it American to support immigration? Which one is really, purely, truly American? Well, I'm going to tell you, and this is not going to make a lot of people happy, it's both. (laughs) It's both. And I'm going to give you examples on both sides However, uh, when we look at the powers of the general government, and I've done done a podcast on this, an episode on this already. When we look at the powers of the general government, the side that says the general government has restricted powers when it comes to immigration has a more valid legal argument, restricted powers, than those that say it can do whatever it wants in regard to immigration. This is actually a state issue if you follow Jefferson's line of logic. Now, of course, you're also going to look at the Constitution where it says that the Congress can prohibit certain people from entering the country after 1808. So if you want to say that the states had full control over over, uh, immigration until 1808, uh, well, then after that point, the Congress had power to do it. You could make a legal argument there. And there are several people throughout history who are purely American who believe that the Congress— had the power to restrict immigration. President Grover Cleveland was certainly an American, and Grover Cleveland believed that the Congress had full power to control immigration. He was in full support of the Chinese Exclusion Act and opposed the construction of the Statue of Liberty when he was governor of New York. He said this is a bad idea, uh, that the state of New York was not going to be behind this thing, because, of course, New York was on the front line of of uh, new immigration into, into the United States. And, of course, when he became president, uh, he had to uh, dedicate the thing, which was you know, one of the cruel ironies of his political career. And, of course, you had the American Party of the mid-19th century, which found most of, its, <clears throat> most of its support in places like New York. Again, ground zero for immigration. So there were certainly people that believed that the general government had the authority, the power, to control immigration. On the other hand, you also had people in the American party who were working through the states to try to restrict immigration as well, knowing full well that the states could do these type of things, that the states could actually pass laws that could restrict uh, people to live there or how long they could live there, how they become a citizen of that state. Now, all this was pre-14th Amendment, but still, uh, even with the 14th Amendment, it's unclear that the states uh, could not have some types of restrictions on who could become a citizen of that state or how long it would take. I mean, they can they can certainly say that you have to wait 14 years to become a citizen of our state. Now, states don't do this anymore because they want the tax revenue. But uh, there were uh, lots of division in America over how these things would work. So let's go back to 1798 and talk about the law passed June, 4, June 18th, excuse me, 1798, better known as the Naturalization Act of 1798. June 18, 1798, the 5th Congress of the United States, which all these people were Americans. I mean, they're, they're not un-American. Passed in 1798, the idea was to restrict immigration into the United States. You actually had to give notice. You had, you had to say that you were here. Um, in the United States, you had to you had to uh, provide documentation that you were now living in the United States or the state in which you're living. Now, this was not something new. In fact, this happened in 1795. There was notice that you had. Now, in 1790, no notice was required. You didn't have to say you were here. Anybody could just come on in. But 1795, you you had to have notice, and then 1798, same thing. And you had to give notice of your intent to become a citizen. For five years. So you had to uh, give five years notice. And then you had to live in the United States for 14 years, according to this Naturalization Act, to become a citizen of the United States. Now, and, and of course, the state in which you resided. And th- there, was, there was two things. Now, the states could, do, could wiggle around this a little bit. This is to become a citizen of the United States. It didn't say anything about states. So when you look at this statute, I'm going to read some of this. Uh, so this is June 18th, 1798. Section 1. Being enacted by the Senate and the House of Representatives of the United States of America and Congress assembled, that no alien shall be admitted to become a citizen of the United States or of any state, unless in the manner prescribed by the act. So here the Congress is saying that, the, that they have con- complete control over what happens in the states as well. Now, this is where Jefferson bristles at this. He shall have declared his intention to become a citizen of the United States, five years at least, before his admission, before his admission, and shall at the time of his application to be admitted declare and prove to the satisfaction of the court having jurisdiction in the case that he has resided within the United States 14 years, at least, and within the state or territory where for which such court is at the time held five years at least, besides conforming to the other residents within the United States and five years in the state and and uh, where he applies, besides otherwise conforming to the former act declarations, renunciations and proofs, etc., etc. So, first of all, he has to declare his intention to become a citizen of the United States five years at least before his admission. So he has to say, Okay, I'm going to be a citizen of the United States, so I have to declare this five years before I'm admitted, and then I have to live here 15 years. I'm sorry, 14 years. So you couldn't just come in and say, I'm going to live here. No, you had to say, I'm going to come to the United States, and then I have to be documented that I'm here. And then I'm going to live here, uh, this is five years before I even show up, and then I'm going to live here 14 years. Now, this was changed by the Naturalization Act. Uh, in, in 1802, which gave a three-year declaration period, this is the Jeffersonians passing this, and a five-year residency requirement. So, this the process then would take eight years to become a citizen of the United States. Total time for the in the 1798 law, it would take 19 years total time. to become a citizen of the United States and of course the state. Now this is where Jefferson said, well, you can't do that when you, when you affect the States, you might, you could make a case that, uh, you know, becoming a citizen of the United States and the citizen of the state are two different things. This is what Jefferson was saying in the Kentucky resolutions. But here you have individuals who are purely American saying, this is what we need to do to ensure the security of the United States. Now, Looking back on it, the political intent was clear. And I think this is where all this gets wrapped up. People don't care about uh, the plight of illegal aliens. This is all for show. What they really care about are votes. This is the case in 1798. It's the case in 1802. It's the case in 1795 or in 1790. And 1790 was probably the only situation where that wasn't really a consideration. But by the time you get to 1795, 1798, 1882, uh, take your pick. 1855, whatever it was, the question was always votes. The reason the American Party was bristling at immigration, there was some uh, xenophobia there, but for the most part, it was because they were concerned about votes. Now, John Adams, I think, was pure in his concern about what unfiltered immigration was going to do to the security of the United States, which is why he supported these laws uh, to his own demise in terms of his own political demise, but it's why he supported these laws. I mean, look, at the time in 1798, there was a great fear about war with France, and you had thousands, tens of thousands of Frenchmen in the United States, many of whom were former uh, aristocrats from the trying to get away from the French Revolution. So they were okay. They were conservatives. But then you had large numbers of potentially French revolutionaries coming in from other parts of the French Empire who weren't. American. then you had, on top of that, tens of thousands of Irish who were generally voting for the Democratic-Republicans. So this was a way, it was thought, to try to restrict the ability of these Democratic-Republicans to influence elections and vote against Federalists. So this was purely political for some. For others, for Adams, I think he was purely interested in security. This he considered to be a dangerous situation. You have immigrants coming to the United States. You don't know who they are. Uh, you don't know what their intent is in being here. So they haven't declared. They just show up. So Adams is saying, well, these people um, need to be documented. We need to know who they are. Now, Jefferson was saying what we're going to do. Adams is going to load these people up on boats and send them out of the country. And uh, this is you know, going back to the 9th century. This is, this is uh, barbaric. This is Middle Ages. This is medieval stuff. Of course, Adams never did any of these things. But the fear was there among the Jeffersonians. Now, again, this is politics, because if you can somehow knock this down, well, then you can get these people to vote your way. And the intent of the sedition law, which even John Marshall said was dubious constitutionally, he would have voted against it. The sedition law uh, was a clear violation of the First and Tenth Amendment to the Constitution. But this, this issue of immigration is a little more gray area. It's a little more vague because the Congress had been involved before in 1790 and 1795 in controlling immigration. Jefferson would say in the Kentucky Resolutions that only the states could do this. And if you read the Kentucky Resolutions, he makes that that very clear. He says in the fourth paragraph, fourth resolution of the Kentucky Resolutions, He says, quote, the alien friends, that alien friends are under the jurisdiction and protection of the laws of the state, wherein they are, and that no power over them has been delegated to the United States nor prohibited to the individual states, distinct from their power over citizens. And it being true that as a general principle, and one of the amendments of the Constitution having also declared that the power is not delegated to the Tenth Amendment, the act of the Congress of the United States passed on the day of July 1798 initiated, uh, I'm sorry, uh, entitled an act concerning aliens which assumes powers over alien friends not delegated by the Constitution is not law but is altogether void and of no force. So here we have the alien acts. So we have a distinct difference of opinion concerning immigration law by Americans. On one hand, you have people like John Adams, who's a member of the founding generation, one of the most important members of the founding generation, saying that the Congress has complete control. The other, one of the other members of the founding generation who believed this same exact thing was George Washington. He was still alive in 1798, and he supported the law. So did, interestingly enough, so did Patrick Henry, so they believe these real Americans, outside of race, see, this is where the other issue comes in. I've seen a video circulating around. This is all about race. This is Everything was about race here because the, all these laws said that, that immigration was restricted to free white persons. And then it goes on to say, but they, they, they discriminated against Irish. Well, last time I checked, the Irish were considered to be free white persons. They didn't differentiate and say Anglo-Saxons and then Irish or two different races. Now, we can get into 18th and 19th century definitions of race and how these things were fluid even when it came to white Europeans. Uh, but they didn't say it's French, French or white. They didn't say anything about Irish. They, they said free white persons, whether you're French or Irish. Now, certainly, they're restricting it. They're, they're narrowing who can become a citizen to that, to Europeans, essentially but they're not making any differentiation between Europeans. And religion is not a race. And so, yes, over time, there has been uh, interest in restricting uh, immigration based on religion, also on race, if you look at, uh, or country of origin when it comes to the Chinese. And these things were passed by American congresses. So it's purely American to be uh, have a position of being anti-immigration. This is not anti-American. It's not somehow a fabrication or, or a... a uh, somebody made this up in 2016 when Donald Trump was running for president. But that's that's the idea you get because people have historically ignorance. And even when they try to go back in, in history and say, "Well, I'm going to prove this is all about uh, you know race or this is all about being mean to people," it's it's hard to do because when you look at the situation, when you look at the times, this is you know David McCulloch, who is not to be confused with any. Trump supporter says, well, you have to understand John Adams in the time. You had a war brewing in 1798, a potential uh, situation where security was a question to have these people come in the country. Are they going to be dangerous? And, of course, you had the press in 1798, which was publishing all kinds of nasty things about John Adams. And the the point of the sedition law was to shut down the opposition press to make it to where you wouldn't have free elections. That was the idea. But uh, this is purely an American position. Patrick Henry was running for Congress against John Randolph of Roanoke uh, on the Federalist Party. Part of the reason being is that he thought that the the, the Francophiles had gone too far, that he was worried about another French, uh, French revolution here in America. He looked around and said, my gosh, this could be really problematic. He also believed that the Jeffersonians were... Um, not doing things in the spirit of the Constitution as ratified, that he he didn't necessarily agree with the position of Madison and Jefferson. But some of this had to do with personality as well. So this is why people say, you know, it was Henry, this guy who seemed to be off the rails in 1798, he wasn't Patrick Henry. Well, he was. I mean, he he warned people this is what's going to happen. You got it. Now you got to support what you got. And he was certainly, at that point in his life, more conservative. Now, uh, Henry would die. Uh <laughs> Uh, not long after that election but he was certainly uh interested in in uh, a much more conservative outlook but you but you had in in 1798 real americans opposed to immigration this was not something that came out of europe this was not something that was uh, you know fabricated out of thin air and the congress 1795 and 1798 had made it Difficult to become an American citizen. You had to declare. And, and nothing changed. from Even the Jeffersonians in 1802 left that declaration period. They reduced it, but left it in place. And they required state courts to be considered district courts. You had to register with a state court. So the Jeffersonians themselves, Jefferson, who's saying in 1798, the states have complete control over this, agreed in 1802 that there could be a declaration period for becoming a citizen of the states and a citizen of the United States. This, this, could, this could be the case. And then you had to live here for a certain amount of time outside of that. So this whole idea of just unfiltered immigration, that is actually um, relatively unique in American history. It's more accurate to say that Americans have been interested in restricting immigration the majority of the time, rather than not. Now, you can go back to the Declaration as well, and where Jefferson makes or criticizes the British for prohibiting migrations to the uh, American colonies. And so, certainly, there was a desire, and, and even Washington said this, well, as long as they come in here, and he, he said this about Muslims, for example, he said, as long as they come to the United States and they behave, well, that's fine. They can be here, they can work here, no problem. Um, so, there was this attitude, well, people had to come over here and, and be good Americans. They had to assimilate, in other words. The fear was always assimilation. This is what Cleveland said about the Chinese and the Chinese Exclusion Act. He said, look, I, I think the Chinese are dangerous because they won't assimilate. They're, they're establishing Taoist temples. Uh, they're not learning English. They're not really becoming part of America so I'm concerned about that assimilation. And that was always the issue for a lot of people. You know, and plus, when you look at what this does to wages and drives down wages and it creates uh, employment issues, all kinds of things. For people that are already here, that was also a concern. So there was certainly an economic concern to have to deal with here. But these are the issues. And again, I mean, you can, you can break this down and say, well, they just didn't like him because of Chinese. No, there were other considerations there. I mean, Cleveland said as much. Because they wouldn't assimilate, uh, and that still is a concern about many Americans. These, uh, you know, immigrants won't assimilate. So, uh, how how do you have a, a, a political climate? I mean, we we do have a a political economic structure in America that's, br- that's based on British antecedents, an understanding of law based on the uh, English system, and so if you don't understand that, well then it's going to be uh, a little difficult to assimilate with America when it comes to our uh, traditional views on government and society. Uh, the, the founding generation was certainly reared in all that, and, and this class that I have coming up is going to get into some of that stuff, so you're really going to want it. But uh, this, is, this is the issue. It's not un-American an Amer- an to think that. There have been plenty of Americans who did, and famous Americans, not just nobodies, not just Millard Fillmore, I mean, this is something that you heard in 2016, Donald Trump. Well, he's just Millard Fillmore. And, of course, they're using Millard Fillmore in that instance because nobody knows who the heck Millard Fillmore is. He's just some nobody president we had that assumed office after Zachary Taylor died. And that's another one. Nobody knows who Zachary Taylor is. So if you just say Trump is Millard Fillmore, he's a nobody. He's this nobody guy. But if you said, well, Trump holds a position similar to John Adams or George Washington, well, that's a little different situation now, isn't it? It's a little different situation. So uh, it's I think it's disingenuous to say that this is somehow un-American, for Americans to hold these positions on immigration. It's also disingenuous to say that uh, you know, well, there was an opposition to this. Well, of course. I mean, the, the and to look at this this legal issue, could the states do these things? Was Jefferson correct in his position? I think what he was saying in 1798, certainly there is merit to that. If you look at truly delegated powers Granted powers in Article One, Section Eight. There is nothing there over immigration. You can say this law that Congress that there was some kind of presumption that there would be restriction of immigration because of the Declaration of 1808. Um, but uh, it's it's unclear. And when you go back and look at the debates, there was some dis- there was some discussion of this. But I think overall, uh, this power of the general government was uh, something that was going to be. Uh, use very little, if at all, and the states would have a tremendous amount of control over who could live within the states themselves. The states could could uh, pass legislation restricting or favoring immigration. The states could do this. So this is, where you, this is where you get into sanctuary cities, and I've said this on this podcast before, as long as the states agree with it, the sanctuary cities can do what they want. But if the states say you can't do that, well, then the sanctuary cities can't do anything. Cities are uh, incorporated by the states, they're creations of the state, and so you can't say somehow that these cities have autonomy greater autonomy than the states themselves. But going back to the original point in this podcast in this episode of this of this uh, of the Brian McLeanahan show, we have two different views of immigration, both of which are distinctively. Uh, American, though one, I think the unfiltered immigration is far less so than the other. You cannot say that the laws that have been passed in the 1790s were in in any way motivated by race. There was, of course, the issue of race. They, They brought it up in the legislation themselves, but they were more concerned about security and votes. This is all about politics. In fact, I think when you look at Most of American history, you can make one distinctive position or one distinctive case about anything in American history. It comes down to one word, begins with a P, and that's power. Who controls the reins of the general government? Who has the power in the general government? And who is going to run the Congress? This is what Calhoun pointed out in his disquisition on government that the problem is going to be ultimately. One side out of power will say they support the Constitution, this is all about the Constitution, just so they can gain power. Once they have power, they ignore the Constitution. The other side will then start doing the same thing. So this is why the two-party system is corrupt. This is why the situation that we have in the general government and why general the powers of the general government need to be so circumscribed that you can't have these situations. This is what Calhoun was talking about. Because... When you give that much power to a central authority, you have extreme problems of uh, undelegated authority. And the arguments that are being made are simply surface arguments at that point. I mean, these are real arguments when you say that the Constitution doesn't say this. But once in power, these people ignore it all the time. So it's all about power. Who controls the government? How the government is going to operate? Who's going to get the spoils? Same thing with with immigration. It certainly is for the other side. I mean, to uh, and, and I think both sides are looking at this. Well, I mean, you know, what is the political ramification of having unlimited immigration in the United States ultimately, 20 years, or 30 years from now? What is going to happen? Both sides know what's going to happen. I mean, they can see that the, the voting shifts that are going to take place. And so one side is going to be a perpetual minority and one side is going to win elections. So this is about power. It always is. It's about power in the 1880s, 1850s, 1790s. 1802. It's about power. Constitutional arguments aside, these are fun exercises. Well, who? I mean, does the state have control over this? I think they do. I think the states could do more to restrict immigration uh, or citizenship of the states. They could do things that would uh, make it uh, you know, a little more difficult. Uh, but if that's what the state wants, if the state doesn't want it, well, the state can do what it wants there too. This is federalism. This is this is the point. This is thinking locally, acting locally. That's the entire point of that particular mantra that I use. Federalism. You want to have a state that has unlimited immigration? Well, I mean, the states can do that. You want to have a state that restricts it? The states can do that too. Uh, so this is this. These are both, you know, certainly American positions not un-American, and I think the language that's used to, to paint those who is, to, uh, wish to restrict immigration as un-American is unfair. It's not based on anything that's historically accurate, and to say that all these people are, are essentially doing this because of race is also historically inaccurate. It's a pejorative used to slander people nowadays, and it, it, it has it's not an intellectual position. It's an anti-intellectual position, one that... Uh, I think is uh, pretty shallow, to be honest. So, uh, I hope this helped clarify some things when it comes to 2018 and what we're dealing with here and these two distinct issues that seem to be so polar opposites. And they are in a lot of ways, but it's this understanding of of American that is at stake here. What is a real American position? Um, is it un-American to oppose immigration? No. Is it un-American to support immigration? Well, no. So I think that what we need to do is drop that nonsense and understand what this is really all about. It's politics, and and uh, uh, it's about political power. It's not about families or anything else. It's about political power. And all these other things are just rhetorical tools used to slander other, the other people or make your point, but they're anti-intellectual positions, to be frank. So uh, look back to the sedition, or I should say the Alien Acts of 1798. You'll see that uh, there's some interesting parts of that. There's also the Naturalization Act of 1802, and then, of course, Jefferson's response. And you'll see that certainly there are both American positions here. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. (laughs)